Are you a busy nonprofit leader who has way too much to do and a staff team who have way too much to do as well, but projects that need to get done and you don't know how to do them? Have you ever considered hiring a freelancer? My guess is probably not. On today's podcast, we are talking to Jasmine Williams, who is an award-winning freelancer that you might want to know. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Jasmine Williams is an editor and a content strategist based in Toronto. Jasmine loves to write. She loves to interview, she loves to gather information, and she loves to do work that you probably don't have time to do. Even though you wanna be creative, even though you wanna write blog posts and articles and things like that, you may not have time to do that. And Jasmine's here to help. You are going to hear some ideas on how you might use freelancing in your organization, how it might help you not only get some of the stuff off your to-do list, but also how it can benefit your organization. So let's transition into the show. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. I'm so excited to have you on today and talk about freelancing, which is definitely not something we talk about in the nonprofit sector very often. But I think that you're going to give us lots of insights about how we might think about freelancing in the nonprofit sector and why we should. Before we do that, tell us a little bit about your journey because you are a freelancer now, but you didn't start there. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Kathy. Honestly, I'm so excited to to dive into all of this stuff. My journey to freelancing has kind of, it's been a long one. I've been technically freelancing since uh, my second year of university. So it's been, I think, over a decade now, um, which is a long time. When I first started freelancing, it was very much just like an ad hoc thing. Like I studied journalism in school, so I would do a bit of freelance writing to kind of make a little bit of extra cash here or there. It was never anything to really write home about. I mean, it was exciting to get paid to write, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't making like a lot of money. It wasn't something that I ever thought I could really do as a career. Then after journalism, I went into marketing and uh, dabble and learned some other skills. Like I learned social media marketing and email marketing and all of these things. Uh, and then when I was in the workforce, also worked at a nonprofit very, for a bit as well. When I was in the workforce, I always found that I didn't quite fit in with the typical kind of nine to five culture. Like I really just like to do my own thing and um, be in, be in control. So I was always kind of thinking, even when I was in these jobs, like what could be my like entrepreneurial thing to do? Mm -hmm. Like what could be the business I wanted to start? Um, and then when I started, I don't exactly even remember when I started really thinking about full-time freelance. I think I just started joining a couple of Facebook groups and seeing what was out there. I met somebody in one of those Facebook groups who I talked to and realized that she was a full-time freelancer and was running her own consulting business. And that was a very much a aha kind of light bulb moment for me because she was doing something similar, had a similar skill set to mine. So, and now we're friends, which is great, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was just something where I was like, okay, I think this is it. This is the thing I could do. So yeah, I guess about three years ago, I, I quit my job and decided to do full-time freelance and here we are. I'm still, still cracking away at no, it. <laughs> still cracking away at it. Uh, what's the difference? Cause I know the listeners are like, mm, what's the difference between consulting and freelancing? I mean, it's one of those things that there 
there they can be both like freelancing can be consulting and consulting can be freelancing yeah. so it is confusing like I would say that consulting is a type of freelancing like if I were to try to define it really freelancing is just working for yourself usually on a contract basis you might work hourly or per project or maybe by retainer you might work with a company and do a, a set amount of hours or set a number of projects per month and that's typically how I work either retainer or project-based, but as a consultant, you could work as a freelance consultant. So that's, (laughs) yeah. So that's partly what I do where I will sometimes just do like consulting sessions with clients, or they might pay me to do a strategy, strategy session, or maybe a day with their team and show them certain things that are in my area of expertise. But yeah, I'd say the difference is that a freelancer, you can also do freelance like graphic design or web design or really anything I'd say that's service-based. Like you could be a freelance makeup artist, freelance costume designer, the list goes on. Um, So it's just like consulting is just, I'd say like something that you could do as a freelancer, but they're not necessarily like, exactly. There we go. (laughs) Exactly. Good. Okay. So we've got the framework. I want to go back a little bit further because I want people to know you a little bit more deeply before we dive into the work that you do. Tell me what you loved to do when you were like junior high. What was your Mm. sort of hobbies and what were the things that you were engaged in then? I mean, I've always been, I'd say a creative person. Like writing is definitely my first love. It was something I started reading from an early age and then that turned into writing and I'd always write little short stories and poems. So that's something that I've always done and I'm still very like, grateful that I get to do that on a regular basis. So that was definitely something I used to do. Music was a really big part of my life. I was in band all through school and also dance as well. I did uh, competitive dance. So I did a lot of things in the arts. That was really my thing. I wasn't super into sports or anything, um, but yeah, dabbled in a lot of creative stuff. Okay, what did you play in band? I do, I'm not, I don't play any instruments. So yeah. <laughs> so I played percussion. I played drums, which Ooh. is fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a nephew who plays drums. And what was your favorite kind of genre of dance? Ooh, well, I think probably bias because of my love of drumming. I really like tap dance because it's basically just like drumming with your feet. Yeah. Uh, music with your feet uh so yeah tap was my favorite also like hip-hop dance because you could just sort of like be really free with it and listen to fun music yeah those are my faves okay I'm gonna confess on the podcast to those who have never heard this before I did clogging for two years which is kind of like tap yeah it's very similar yeah with my daughters and loved it that's so cool yeah I would go to dance competitions and sometimes there'd be cloggers there and I always thought their shoes were so cool Yeah, I might even still have mine just because they were way too cool. So yeah, you got to keep them. I still have time. I don't think at my house right now, they're probably my mom still has a lot of my old dance stuff. Yeah, Yeah. yes, absolutely. All right. So now you do a lot of writing and Mm. work with with websites and social media and all that kind of stuff. What's your favorite topics to write about? Ooh, uh, Good question. I like writing about like small business topics, I guess, because it's very relevant to what I do running a small business. One thing I really love about the kind of writing I get to do is that I get to 
really learn about things that I'm interested in. So that is a fun side job. Like I think I saw somewhere on social media where somebody said that like being a freelance writer is kind of like doing homework all the time. Um, So I feel like that nerd sensibility, I I get to just research things and learn about stuff. So yeah, definitely small business topics. I like to write about marketing a lot as well, because that's relevant to my work. I'd say outside of like that work related stuff. I do like to, um, I like to write profiles on people actually. Uh, so that's something that I don't always get to do because it's a a little like, okay, do we really need this? (laughs) You know, what do you mean by profile? So like, is that like on the website, the about page about, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, so by profile, I mean kind of like more like magazine type of profiles, like, you know, when they write about uh, a celebrity or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So those are the kinds of things I like to write. Like I've done a couple for a client where they are a platform for creators. So I got to profile some of the creators on their platform and just interview them and get to know like how they got started kind of, you know, not similar to what we're talking about um, and get their journey and really get to know them. And I like to just try to see if I can capture them in words. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you follow 21 arts on Instagram, which I do (laughs) based in Ontario. Yeah. They do a lot of, yeah, they bring artists in and, and sell their artwork and it's a nonprofit and, and do a lot of work around. I I seen a post the other day around drug abuse and homelessness and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I can see you profiling their artists and yeah. Who is this person? Who's the person behind the artwork? That's cool. Yeah. Actually at my last job, like I was working at a nonprofit before I went freelance and that was actually a big part of my job. Like it was a nonprofit supporting entrepreneurs and I got to being, my role was a content and social media associate specialist, something like that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I was basically the keeper of the blog. So I would get to write a lot of articles, but yeah, I would I get to profile all the entrepreneurs because basically the nonprofit would provide these entrepreneurs with funding. And it was always really cool to see the success stories, you know, like the yeah. companies that we supported and how they got started and where they are now. So I got to write a lot of articles like that. And I, those are really fun. Why would somebody hire a freelancer instead of just doing it in-house? I mean, probably if you've tried to do it in-house and you're struggling, that's, <laughs> that's usually no. a sign that you might need some help. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that's typically it. Like I tend to work with a lot of marketing teams and content managers. So people who can do what I do, but they just have a million other things on their plate. And especially I know in the nonprofit world, if you're working in a small team or just don't have a lot of resources to go around, even if you might have a content specialist or a writer, they're probably writing for the website. They might be writing for social media. They might be helping with proposals or pitch decks. Like I would do so many things when I was working in-house and get pulled into so many projects that I often didn't have time to do the stuff that I actually was supposed to do, like write blog posts. Um, So that's usually, I think, the sign that you might need support is that you maybe are very capable. Usually, yeah, the people I work with, they understand what they need very well. Uh, They just really are working on a limited capacity and they know that maybe for a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars a month that they could just have somebody working on this consistently they could get so much further than just kind of doing it sporadically whenever they get a chance to yeah so yeah. i'm thinking about size of of nonprofits so we have nonprofits where it's like an ed who might work half time as ed and the rest of the time is frontline and she's got like three people right to, you know hundreds of people on a team of course. And and so I look at the small EG first and I think 
Yeah, she's trying to, you know, write the blog post and she's trying to manage staff. And while she may have some expertise in that area, before Jasmine and I got on our call today, we we're talking about how we structure our days. And both of us don't let anybody into our calendars before about <laughs> noon. Yeah. Because you got to do deep work. Yeah. Like you have to do those blocked off times where you're allowing that creative energy to come out and to write. And most leaders do not have 15 minutes to themselves, let alone an hour to sit down. And so they're writing blog posts and articles and whatever on the weekends yeah. and in the evenings when they're already drained. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can hire somebody to do this short term or long term, whatever you choose. And the other thing I will say is nonprofits often have these little pots of money that mm -hmm. they that they need to spend and they don't know what to do with. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can tell you there's a lot of that that goes on, especially year end. Oh my God, I've got extra dollars. Like I, you know, the staff quit for, for, you know, mid year and I haven't been able to replace, I've got these staffing dollars. How do I use them? Right. You, you put Jasmine on a retainer for <laughs> a few months and, yeah. and you start to see how somebody can do some of those little pieces that are so important that you just don't have time for. I think that, and that's really key, right? Like it's just, it's finding that time. And also when you're working with somebody, if they're a freelancer, chances are they're probably really good at that thing if they decided yeah. to put up their shingle and, and work for themselves. So they could probably do it a lot faster and maybe a lot better than you could do it. Without the grammar and spelling mistakes that I would put in. And it's, it's, it's all good. And yeah, I'll talk to people all the time where they're like, I love writing, but it just takes me forever. I don't have the time or I just don't know how to get into it. And I've kind of honed my skill in being able to really just dive into a blog post and I can knock it out in a couple hours. Like, I don't really know how I do it. That's just the kind of special skill that I have. So that I think is really important where it's like, you have things that only, yeah, like an ED, they have things that only they can do. So yeah. it is really important that you under, that you're prioritizing and not doing all of the things just because you feel like you're, you can't do it all or you don't have the funds like really sometimes if you sit take a step back and think about how we could be a bit more strategic you'll get so much further and a lot faster than when you just try to be a superhero and do it all yourself and I think that's the the problem that many women leaders do get into in nonprofits is they do try to do it all themselves and that's part yeah. of what I keep doing in the podcast is bringing on guests you know we had an HR consultant and we had somebody who does the board work and, you know, that, that piece. And you do not have to do it all yourself. And, and I think often what we think of in nonprofits is, well, I need another body. Well, right. perhaps you do, but perhaps instead of another body, you have parts of bodies that yeah. you use for what they're skilled at. Like you say, you can knock off something in what, it probably when you were in your job before would have taken you much longer because you're, you know, doing a deck over here and you're doing social media over here and, and your mind is all over the place. Right. And, and the more you're like, no, this is what I do. This is, you know, you get into that space. And so I think people can think differently. Like you say, step back and think more strategically. Yeah. And I, I love that point about what you said, because I think that is it. Like a lot of times when people think, okay, I need support, they immediately jump into hiring. Yeah. And again, you might think you might not actually need a full-time or even a part-time hire. If you just have one project that you need to get off the ground, maybe it is just hiring somebody to do that project and that's it versus yeah. hiring hiring somebody full-time or part-time to do that project. And then when they're done, you don't really know what to do with them. Yeah. 
I was talking to a ED the other day and of course, overwhelmed, overloaded. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you need an assistant. And she's like, yeah, I wish I could clone myself kind of thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can hire a VA, yeah. a virtual assistant for two or three hours a week. You know, she's like, what? I'm like, yes, that's a thing, yeah. right? You, you can have somebody do some of that work. I don't know if you do policy work or, but you were talking about before we hopped on about um, hiring, like you did some research around hiring for, for um, startups. Mm-hmm. And I think people, again, are like, oh, hiring, like that immediately thinks into a box, but it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Yeah. What are some, what are some of the things just you wrote a blog post this morning, I'm putting you on the spot, but what are some of the things you learned from this blog that you wrote? Yeah. I mean, especially in the context of startups and hiring, uh, I think right now the landscape that we're in has changed a lot. Like when we're thinking about recruitment and retention and all of that stuff, like for, I'd say even just as just maybe in the near past, like say a few years ago, startups were all the rage, right? We all wanted to live that lifestyle, working in a co-working space, the free lunches, the ping pong tables, all of that. And I think over the past few years, we've seen you know, places like Facebook or WeWork, like these really big startups, we get a peek behind the curtain and realize it's a whole mess (laughs) back (laughs) there. Uh, So I think that kind of sheen of the startup has faded a little bit. And now people are a little bit wary, of course, too, thinking about the pandemic and what we've all been through. I think we're all like, and this is not even just specific to, let's say, a younger talent or entry level. I think across the board, everybody's just looking for a little bit more stability, more purpose-driven work, more meaningful work. So those perks, those frills are just not as interesting and as compelling as they used to be. So I think a lot of startups are just like, "Uh uh-oh, that's kind of all we had, you know, because we might not have a lot of money right now. We are probably pretty disorganized, but we can at least try to attract people um, with the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. People are saying we don't care about that. So I think startups are scrambling a little bit. It's like, okay, so what do they care about? And really it comes down to just the basics of people, like I said, want meaningful work. They want purpose-driven work. They want to be compensated well. And of course, it's also about, I think, keeping it real as well. Like you don't need to sell this shiny thing. I think we're just a lot more discerning now. We, We know that it can't all be sunshine and rainbows. There's Every job has its pros and cons, whether you're working for a very, you know, bureaucratic old organization or a young startup, each has their pros and cons. So it's just about being honest about that, because that's how you'll attract the people who are the right fit, right? It's just authenticity (laughs) at the end of the day. Like if you're just out there like, okay, here's what we can offer you. Here's what we can't offer you. But, you know, if that's okay with you, let us know. I think it just needs to be a bit more conversational versus uh, look how amazing we are and not letting people in and showing them like what's really going on. The old way of hiring was you put up a job description and a job posting, but I can just envision, and I don't know if this fits in in the work that you do, but I envision an, an organization hiring a freelancer. Jasmine does likes to do profiles on people, right? Mm-hmm. So like magazine type profiles to do like a, profile of an organization in terms of this is who we are and I think what you said a minute ago about purpose-driven work Mm -hmm. the nonprofit sector has high turnover high burnout um, low wages like it's just often draining Mm -hmm. 
And so we know that going into it, but why do people keep coming and why do some organizations do well? And what is it? Like what draws you into this organization? And, you know, some of it's flexibility or, you know, the, the ability to continue your learning and development, or, you know, as you said, the, the purposeful work is what draws a lot of people in. Yeah. So, you know, letting somebody else shine your light for you, Mm -hmm. you hire somebody to go, what is it about you? And, you know, I know that you do a lot of research. So, you know, maybe check some stuff out, not only externally, but also internally, like, you know, a couple calls to the staff. Why do why are you here? What's going on? Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking that, and that's usually when I work with a lot of clients, like I like to do interviews with them and really get their firsthand knowledge because I, I always say like, I'm like your writing partner. I'm an extension of you. You understand what you're doing, what's going on. I'm just here to kind of help organize it and make it sound good. Uh, But yeah, exactly. Like talk to your team, ask them like why they're there. Like I'm sure they understand that they have to take the bad with the good, right? Maybe it's long hours sometimes, maybe things are maybe a little bit not so great behind the scenes, but there's got to be something that's keeping people around, whether it's the culture or like the mission of the company or maybe, yeah, the growth opportunities. Maybe they actually, they don't mind it. You know, maybe they actually like doing different things. That's something that I feel like that's an environment that I thrive in where I like like being in business over now I've learned about sales. I've learned about finances. And these are things that I would probably never have been exposed to in a regular job because I was always in just like this creative mm-hmm. content bucket. Uh, but now I have a much exp- more expanded skill set. So it's just important to make sure that you are attracting those people who want that. Some people don't, and that's totally fine. Like there's nothing wrong about that. If you just are hired to do a job and you just want to do that job and that's it, that's yeah. fine. But understand that maybe, yeah, startup environment might not be for you or a nonprofit environment might not be for you where it's a little bit more flexible, all hands on deck type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you also do the, like the social media accounts? Do you look after people's social media accounts, write copy for their social media? Yeah, that's part of what I do. I it's now like before when I first started, it was kind of 50 yeah. 50. Now I'd say I usually take on maybe one or two social yeah. media management clients at a time. Um, because the day to day aspect of it can be can be a lot. And sometimes yeah. I find too with social media, there's so much going on internally. And then as an external partner, it can be hard to kind of yeah. stay tuned and be like, okay, you're doing an event right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like let's, let's dive in. Uh, so yeah, I still do it sometimes. Uh, but, and yeah, I'll do copywriting. And, uh, I also have a marketing assistant that I work with who supports with a lot of like the design and management. Right. Yeah. right. And what about diversity and inclusion? Do you write mm. about that much? I do. Yeah. Cause definitely one of my, uh, core topics, or I guess one of the niches that I work in is HR, which is why I've learned a lot about hiring and recruitment and all of that stuff. Uh, So yeah, DEI is something that that comes up a lot. Yeah. And what's been your personal experience of it as you've sort of moved through both your career and now as a freelancer? I mean, I think definitely people are really paying more attention to it. I think for a while, I'd say even early, early 2020, before a lot of the like Black Lives Matter protests happened and that sort of thing, it was still kind of a buzzword, like people knew, okay, yeah, we need more diverse talent. Uh, But there was, I think, not enough focus on keeping that talent or making sure that they're really happy and feel supported and feel safe within the organization. Um, Like a term that 
I actually learned from one of my clients, it's the idea of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, uh, which is yeah. really key because it's not just about bringing in that diverse client or the diverse yeah. uh, talent, but making sure that they do really feel supported. Like if you actually saw it, there's a TV show that I was watching recently and it was kind of like that where basically this uh, uh, a South Asian woman was hired into this organization. She had this, got this great salary and then she got there and realized that it was just all white guys. And she realized like, oh, I am the diver- diversity hire. Yeah. And you could see kind of in her face, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't relate to these people. They don't understand me. And that's where the belonging piece is happens right you can't just bring people in and be like okay you're here now um like everything your whole approach needs to change and you really do need to listen to those people and make sure that you're supporting them i think now the conversation has shifted a bit more from like let's just get people in the door to now thinking about how can we make sure that they're happy and also have growth potential because that's another thing that was i was seeing a lot where people were recruiting a lot of diverse talent at the entry level but you see as you get closer and closer to the top uh-huh, uh-huh. it gets less and less diverse and you know people see that we notice that oh it's uh, in the nonprofit sector stats show that left and exactly. right exactly so that too, it's like people want to see, okay, maybe you do have people in these roles, but you know, what are you doing to make sure that people are growing within your company, are rising up, are accessing those opportunities? Um, and then, yeah, thinking about just feedback, like, are you open to listening and learning really and not just saying that and seeing like, what, what are you implementing? That sort of thing. Have you ever felt like you were the token black woman on the team? Ooh, yeah, I'd say actually, yeah, my, I remember there's an experience at my last job where they were doing like a photo shoot for their careers page, ironically. Uh-huh. And then I looked at the other people and I was like, okay, there's my, the marketing director who's South Asian. And there's the guy, this guy from finance who's Asian. And it was just very clear that they brought together all of the diverse, diverse employees <laughs> to make their company look better on this page. Yeah. So yeah, definitely I've, I've felt that and it's always it's, it's an awkward situation to, to be in, especially, yeah, when you do feel like you don't belong or you feel, you do feel like there isn't, you know, a higher up or something like, at least in that organization, fortunately enough, there were people in management that were people of color. So I didn't feel like, you know, I felt like I had people who I could, who would maybe understand what I was going through. Um, And even just having that representation of seeing like, oh, look, Uh, I remember I did an internship when I was still in school and it was at a a TV station. And I remember feeling it was so cool when I walked in, I realized that there was not one, but two black women in like leadership roles at the TV station. And that's something I, I didn't, never saw and didn't expect. So that was really cool. There's definitely been times where I felt tokenized and it's, yeah, sometimes it's, it's hard. Now I feel like as a business owner, I just try to be very intentional about how I do things. And I'm just a bit more of a, what's the word? Like I, if I see something that's maybe not super diverse, I usually just, I won't do it. Like if I see a panel or an event, I'll just kind of look at the lineup really quickly. And if I don't see enough diversity, I just won't go or, and that's about it. That's kind of my approach now. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I'm, I've been starting to coach more uh, people outside of Canada and the States Mm -hmm. or, you know, just different cultures in general. And, and I think the thing that I've realized is I live in this teeny tiny little world right. and I have no idea. And the best thing for me to do is just ask. I think when 
when you and I first chatted, I'm like, what, what, what do you like to be referred to a black woman? Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. And so I think that, that the respect is important. And I think as we continue to move forward, I think it's, it's curiosity, it's uh, patience and that, that learning. Cause yeah, there's a, like you say, this is still relatively new. It used to just yeah. be the word. Now it's actually moving into practice. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. And I would love to see you be brought into organizations to support that writing and that sort of work as well. Mm-hmm. I think that we do need to get different perspectives and get that support. And and yeah, if if that's not something you've been comfortable, you know, like you say, interviewing people, asking questions about in your organization, yeah, maybe it's time to to freelance it out (laughs) and try some help. Anything else about freelancing or diversity or anything else you want to share? Anything you think people need to know about the work you do? I would love to see it become increasingly more normalized. I think it is like there's definitely been a shift even in the, in the last year, it's really been interesting to see as somebody who started this three years ago, when I started, people still looked at me like I was, insane (laughs) or they just didn't really believe me they're like okay yeah maybe you're just doing this in between things but you're going to find a a job someday yeah Yeah. Uh, and really having to affirm to people that yes I want to freelance no I don't necessarily want to build a big company or big agency I like how I work I like the setup this is this works for me uh yeah I think it took a long time for people to really understand that and I think now yeah, and the, over the course of the pandemic, I've just seen so many more people taking their careers into their own hands and exploring freelancing and and trying it out. So yeah, I just want more people to know that this is a legitimate career path. It's a sustainable career path. I think it's okay to call yourself a freelancer too. Yeah. I feel like there's a bit of a stigma around freelance work because of the things I mentioned there. I would just love to see it seen as like just another entrepreneurial option, the same way that people, you know, might open a store yeah. or yeah, start an agency or a tech startup. I think a freelance style business is, is just as legitimate. You do some work to support people to do that. Tell us about that work. Absolutely. Yeah. Last year, or I guess before last year, I was always getting a lot of questions about freelancing because I approached it in the way that I do full time. This is my career. This is what I want to do and continue doing. So I would get calls and little DMs here or there from people who wanted to know more about the way I work and maybe were looking into exploring it themselves. So last summer, I created a course. It's a six-week program where I teach people everything that I've learned about freelancing from defining your niche all the way to launching your business and really attracting and positioning yourself for those high-value clients because I think that's a key part of freelancing is not going getting out of that whole like gig-to-gig type of mentality and really structuring it properly like a business. So that's what I teach people. And then I also, because of the way that's structured, we have these weekly calls. We call them freelance therapy calls <laughs> where basically people will ask me questions. They could be related to the course. They could just be related to their freelance business in general. Um, and it's just a really safe space to talk about what you're going through, get advice from me, but also get advice from others in the group. And I'm also just created a whole other, some other resources. I have a freelance rate calculator for people who want to calculate their hourly rate because I hate to see people undercharging themselves. I just really want to help those early stage freelancers find their footing and and figure things out and hopefully avoid the mistakes that I made because 
I made a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did too. So tell people yeah. where they can find that and you. What What is the best place for people to find you? My website has everything I do. So my website is jasminewilliams.ca. If you go to jasminewilliams.ca slash resources, that has all of my kind of mentorship freelance coaching stuff. There's a link to my course, Facebook group, downloads, all of that jazz. Yeah. If people want to follow me on social media, my uh, Instagram handle is at Jasmine Williams Media, all one word. And that's where I'll post a lot of just fun content about I, it's, I call it edutainment in a way. Yeah, like yeah. I, it's half <laughs> I educational like it. and half just sometimes silly videos uh, to kind of make people laugh, bring a smile to people's face. I'm also relatively active on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm sure you can share all, all the links. All, all the links uh, in the notes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely my website if people want to learn more about me um, or Instagram, if they want to maybe send me a DM and say, hey, I'm friendly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and fun. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for opening people's eyes to a different way of thinking about some of the work that's on their plates and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully making them think a little bit more creatively about what they can do and how they can reach out perhaps to you, other freelancers for some of the work that they have to do. So appreciate that you've given us that insight today. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been such a pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about this stuff. And yeah, whether you're working in nonprofits and curious about using more freelancers, or if you're thinking about being a freelancer yourself, I'm happy to to continue the conversation in the online spaces that I'm in. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the Training Library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.